Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, for these people, for this room, that we are here to, to see you. We are here because you act, you work, you brought us here for a reason. Everybody in this room is here for a purpose, and you have sent them here. So Lord, open their eyes, their ears, let them hear what you have prepared for them. Let me be used as a vessel for what you are doing so that we might be together. We might see your glory, see your grace, see your mercy. Or let there be less of me so there can be more of you. We pray this in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Considering what it is to sit across the table from Christ, to look at him, to enjoy him, for him to enjoy you, for him to delight in your presence, for you to delight in him, all of the things that you would want in someone who pursues you, wrapped up perfectly in the person of Jesus. Sitting across from you, what do you see with him? One of the things that um, we're gonna look at today that we see in Christ is the wonder of hope and patience. Hope and patience. In order for us to get there to hope and patience, I want to start with um, this thing that I can st- that I kind of I see happen once a year or so. Um, once a year or so on the big magazines, the Time magazines, the Newsweeks, um, those kind of magazines, they publish some kind of article with a name of like the pursuits of happiness or the hundred most happy jobs that you can have, or, or the best schools that you can go to to find happiness. And then you, you open to the article, and you look at it, and you go, oh, my job's number 98. No wonder I'm not happy anymore. This is way down on the list. And, and you're looking at this, and, and it must be once a year or so that an article like this is on the front cover, so it must sell well. Right, Because it always shows up, it must move, it must get the clicks that they need. I'm listening to um, some theologians talk on a podcast that I enjoy, and they said this line that just brought those articles to mind. They said, Americans are obsessed with happiness. We are constantly in pursuit of being happy. You know, the self-help book, the next thing that we do, if it's not making us happy, it's not worth it. Why spend your time on things that you don't get any pleasure from, that don't make you happy? We are people obsessed with happiness. And we're frustrated. Because happiness is really hard to come by. Happiness is hard to have. And so with this idea of the, um, you know, the yearly publication of the way to be happy, the job to make you happy, the, the person to make you happy, the school to make you happy, with that in mind, I want to set something else as we go into this idea of hope and patience. 
I watched this movie recently. I don't know if any of you else watched this movie on Netflix, a movie called Stutz. It is a movie by Jonah Hill, an actor that you may have seen, um, been in a bunch of different movies. And this was his therapist. And he, the therapist in the picture there, is dying. Um, he has Parkinson's and getting older. And he is kind of putting some ideas out there for people to um, engage. It's an interesting movie. There's some really some interesting parts to it. It's worth an hour and a half of your time. I think you'd enjoy um, watching it and thinking about it. But one of the very first things that he puts on the screen very early in the movie that he tries to teach his clients as they come in and as they do therapy with them, is this. And he draws little pictures and writes little notes for them. There are three aspects of reality that you will never be able to avoid. Pain, uncertainty, and constant work. You're not getting away from those. You can't do enough therapy to not experience pain, uncertainty, and constant work. You can't make enough money to no longer experience pain, uncertainty, and constant work. There's no degree on the wall you can get. There's no house you can buy. Those are three realities. And the quicker you start to acknowledge that this is a part of what it is, and what's funny is the more satisfied a life you can have. The quicker you acknowledge these truths, the more satisfaction you can have. Now, as a pastor, as a theologian, when this came across the screen, it didn't surprise me. Because when you look at the scriptures, they're pretty honest that this is consistent. We live in this broken world where none of us are surprised by death. None of us are surprised by illness or by loss of a job or by pain. None of us are surprised by any of these things. This is the world that the Bible teaches. It's the world the Bible shows. And I think what's one of the wonderful things about Christianity, one of the wonderful things about the Bible is how true it is with just the experience that we have. It doesn't shy away from the fact that it's not the way it should be. We experience these things over and over and over again. Pain, uncertainty, and constant work. I told you this is a sermon about hope and patience, and we're going to get there. How are we going to get there? We're going to get there through today's gospel reading. Now, I didn't read for you the whole thing because it's long, and I wanted to do it here in the sermon But it says this, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory that the son of God might be glorified through it. So Jesus hears about Lazarus's illness. He hears, oh, Lazarus is sick. Things aren't going well. That's not good. Okay. So then I hear about his illness and Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. These are people whom Jesus loves. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does any of you, does that strike you as odd? When someone you love gets sick, what's usually the first thing you do? Go to them. Find them. You want to be with them. What does Jesus do? I'm good. I'm going to stay. I'm going to wait. 
and he waits. How? Why does he wait? And you can see the disciples there this whole time, right? What are they doing? They're probably walking going, remember Lazarus? He's like, don't worry, we're going to go. But he's not doing well. And we've seen you cure people. You want to go and do that? I'll go when I'm going to go. Jesus is never rushed. He's never going ahead of things. How can he do this? One, he knows the power of God. He knows what God can do. And two, he knows that God will do it. He knows that God loves and is for Lazarus. And I already said, this is going to be a moment for God's glory to be made manifest. So he waits. By the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead four days. The sisters come out, and they're probably not so happy with Jesus, right? They're going, I know you could have done something. And what did you do? March Madness. I don't know. You didn't. You know, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of basketball games on. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into this world. I know that you can do something about this. I know that you're able. I don't understand how. I don't understand what, but I know that you can. And Jesus enters into this scene where Lazarus is dead and there is just grief everywhere where he looks around. There are these realities coming at him. Pain, uncertainty, constant work. And Jesus is standing in the middle of it and he's knowing what he's about to do. And then something strange happens in the story. Because I think in our humanity, all of us would immediately rush to the grave if we knew we had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. But look at what Jesus does. He goes, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. In the midst of a world of pain, uncertainty, and constant work, is Jesus rushing through so that he can go and do the miracle? No. He pauses. He sees the impact of pain, uncertainty on his people, and he enters it with them. Right? He goes right into that space with them and weeps with them at the impact of sin. The fact that those three realities is not God's plan, is not the way God had it laid out, but yet Jesus sees the impact of sin and enters into it with them. He pauses and he weeps knowing what he's going to do. We have a God who amidst pain and suffering and constant work and uncertainty does not rush ahead of us, but walks 
patiently with us, is in it with us, is weeping with us, is not isolated from it, but knows the impact of it and enters into it with you. And so Jesus shows up and he goes to the tomb and this is the part that we read and he goes into the tomb and he sees the stone and he tells them to move the stone away and he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I always end up saying this at funerals because it's one of my favorite things I've read when um, I've you know, read so many different things. And this line that theologians use where they say, it's a good thing Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Because if he had just said, come out, the whole graveyard would have stood up and started walking towards him, right? And you can imagine, maybe all the graveyards and all of the land would have stood up because of the authority of the power of Jesus. So he says, that one, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus comes out, and his face are wrapped up in cloth, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Jesus knew the future of this story and walked patiently and hope-filled in the midst of the pain of the uncertainty, of the constant work, entered it with them and pointed their eyes on Lazarus's resurrection and gave them hope. If we are looking after happiness, we are going to be disappointed all the time. Because what's going to happen is every moment where happiness seems to pop up, there's going to be some pain or uncertainty or other things coming in to take its legs away. Yet we as Christians are not known for happiness, but we're known for something else. What's that called? Joy. How can we be known for joy amidst a world of pain, uncertainty, and constant work? Because we know this is how the story ends. Because we know that we have a God who journeys with us through the pain, uncertainty, and constant work. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't walk right over it, not look at it, but goes through it with us so that we have the one and keeps our eyes fixed on what is to come. And in that, then, we have hope and we have patience. You see, God is patient with us. He knows the impact of sin and suffering and illness on us, and yet he doesn't just respond and destroy us, but instead responds with kindness. So this verse comes up, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's patient with us. He waits for us. He slows down. He doesn't hold every time you get so frustrated at the pain that you lash out against you. But he forgives. Abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, waiting patiently. Isn't this the God that we sit across the table from? The one who looks at us with hope, telling us the end of the story and walking with us as we experience the pain, uncertainty, and constant work. We've used this illustration of being in this relationship, this love relationship, this romantic relationship with God. 
And I want to kind of close our time with a brief thought, two of them, actually. And the first thing I'm going to show you is a book. And I've never read the book, to be quite honest with you, okay? Because I saw the subtitle of the book, and I was pretty sure I knew what the rest of the book was about. So I thought, that'll save me 190 pages of having to read the book. So I'm going to save you the time right now, okay? I will show you the subtitle. But I believe I love this line so much that this book I probably saw, I don't know, 10 years ago on a shelf, maybe 12 years ago. And the line has never left my mind. Here it is. It's from this book, Sacred Marriage. And the subtitle says this, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? As we're in this love relationship with Christ, as I'm in this love relationship with Emily, it is the place where all of my flaws are shown and highlighted. I bump along and I mess up and I make mistakes and I hurt and I say the wrong thing and I do the wrong thing and I start to tumble over and I see it day in and day out with my relationship with my wife. But if I'm after my happiness, this doesn't feel too good, does it? But if I start to recognize that maybe my marriage is the primary place where God will expose me and make me holy, it changes the conversation. Could you imagine if, if the goal of people being married and in their marriage was to say, Lord, thank you for this primary tool through which you are going to transform me. And it's a slow, patient process. Because I do the same mess up over and over and over and over again. I'm quick. I make mistakes. I do these wrong things over and over and over again. But in the slow process of holiness, God transforms me. He's slow to anger, abiding in steadfast love. He sits across the table with us. And every time we make a mistake, he doesn't hold against us. But he says, there that thing is again. Let's go forward. Slowly, in this relationship with God, we're transformed day in and day out until one day we see him face to face. What if the marriage, our marriages, was the primary place that God made us holy and not happy? I mean, I, I really think that one line could change <laughs> so much of the world if that was a fi- primary focus on things. This beautiful hope, this beautiful patience that God has with us as we wait, as we go forward, as we're in relationship with him, as he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as he is transforming us, as he is working through with us, he doesn't hold those things against us, but loves us, journeys with us in the pain, and continues to go as we are transformed by his spirit. So then, I want to read to you a closing thought. Now, this is a book I have read. Okay, just to have full, full transparency, a lawn obedience in the same direction by Eugene Peterson. First of all, that is an incredible title, right? I mean, again, like you don't even need to read the book to go, wow, that is a great title. Eugene Peterson was a pastor of a church in Maryland, um, pastored the same church for like 50 years, not much bigger than our church, just loved on them. They loved on him, a, a lawn obedience in the same direction, being together. And he was also the translator of the message, the Bible. So he you know, took the Old Testament Hebrew and the Old Testament Greek and translated it into a modern language. I probably will not do that for you people. Sorry, 
just so you know. But he wrote a lot of books, and this is one of them, and I want to read to you this beautiful line from this book, or this, this section of this book. It says this, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is the willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. That is not hoping in God, but bullying God. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. What a beautiful line. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. What will he do? He will make everything okay. We wait, knowing that in the waiting There's holiness, not happiness, but holiness and a joy that's set before us, a joy knowing that God will do what he set out to do with a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege of of hearing your voice, of knowing that you are with us and that you are for us. Lord, we pray that as, as you transform, as you, as you bring about life and hope, we are a people who, we understand two things. One, that you are patient. <laughs> you slowly wait with us. That in our relationship with you, you are making us holy. You are using things like our marriages to make us holy. You are using things like our our time, our, our spaces to transform us. Lord, we are grateful that you are patient. But Lord, there are times we want you to rush to the end to make everything okay right now. Lord, let us be patient. Let us be willing to know that we can wait on you and for you. You waited two days to go to Lazarus. But when you came... Amazing things happened. Lord, as we wait, as we wait for you, we believe that you will make everything okay. And thank you for journeying with us in the pain, the uncertainty, and the constant work. Thank you for being right a present companion, knowing what that is, but keeping our eyes fixed on the fact that you will come again. You will make everything okay. Okay. 